Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, September 5th, 2023, the 958th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands, and if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms, and of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the social media, the writing, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, I want to talk today about the censorship regime and the propaganda regime. These are subjects we've covered countless times on this show. I was discussing some of this with a friend of mine last week, and he shot me over a link, a little entry about the Smith-Munt Modernization Act. And a lot of people are familiar with this, but we don't talk about how important it is a whole lot and how much it has directly led to what we see. 
in terms of censorship and propaganda. A lot of people understand kind of intuitively that the media environment has changed. People are beginning to learn about some of the censorship. And I'm talking about standard issue villagers here, people who don't really pay attention to current events, people who have virtually no idea of what's going on in the world. Many of them at least have some idea that the media environment has changed. They don't really understand why it seemed to have happened kind of under the radar to them. They didn't really feel the change happening. But 10 years ago, they weren't talking about the ridiculous, fantastical, false reality nonsense that now constitutes the bulk of our cultural conversation. So my friend sends me an interesting article from kind of this obscure blog. It's called From the Trenches WorldReport.com. That part is not particularly important. A woman named Kathleen McCarthy apparently wrote it. And most standard issue villagers, upon seeing an article like this, would immediately begin complaining about your sources. Oh, what source is that? But then you can just look down toward the bottom of the article. You see an article on the Smith-Munt Modernization Act by a website called Tech Dirt, which has been around for a while. You find the text of the bill itself. The article cites a 36-page long academic paper from the Northwestern University Law Review, and it cites an article by Whitney Webb from the Ron Paul Institute. And we'll touch on a piece of that in just a few minutes. But it's amazing how people are all geared up to quickly dismiss a piece of information due to the source because it's a source they've never heard of or it doesn't look like a modern, sophisticated website. And that's one of the primary problems with the way that standard issue villagers gather information. They want the presentation of the information to meet certain standards before they will even consider the substance of the information. Now, I think most of us have learned better by now. And so I looked at the article. I was like, wow, this is kind of an obscure website, but let me take a look. And it turns out it's a pretty good explanation of what's going on. So here it is. This is from August 9th of last year. Flashback, anti-propaganda ban repealed the Smith-Munt Modernization Act of 2012. There's a high probability that you have never heard of the Smith-Munt Act of 1948, which would comport with not knowing or caring about the Smith-Munt Modernization Act of 2012. And they're going to abbreviate this throughout the article as SMMA, the Smith-Munt Modernization Act. Both these laws are critically important and impact your lives directly, so time to get up to speed. The Smith-Munt Modernization Act was buried in the 2012 National Defense Authorization Act for good reason, because it repealed the 1948 Smith-Munt Act. The Smith-Munt Act is known as the U.S. Information and Education Act, which authorized the State Department to engage in propagandizing foreign countries as a form of public diplomacy. The SMA established that via the Broadcasting Board of Governors, Voice of America and Radio Free Europe, the U.S. State Department and Office of Public Affairs were authorized to disseminate propaganda to foreign publics, but were strictly prohibited from releasing that same propaganda in America for public consumption. Put simply, our government was permitted to lie to people in other countries but not to us here at home. Now keep that Broadcasting Board of Governors in mind and also keep this Voice of America organization in mind. This is not Real America's Voice, the Internet News Channel. This is the Voice of America. 
different organization. This is the one that in 2020 had that very brief sex scandal that most people missed. Two people were actually visibly having sex in one of the offices right against the window. But let's continue. The prohibition was lifted in 2012 when the SMMA was signed into law by President Obama, allowing the same propaganda disseminated by our government to foreign publics to now be released in the U.S. for the very first time. And yes, our government is now also allowed to create propaganda tailored specifically for U.S. public consumption, using any media as it sees fit while remaining anonymous as the source of the material being reported. This covert activity by our government's State Department, Public Diplomacy, and Public Affairs Department can only occur with corporate media's full complicity, for which it is well compensated thanks to the tax dollars appropriated by the SMMA. It means that when our government's propaganda is presented to we, the American people, as news, we are none the wiser that it is scripted, orchestrated, and fully supported with the invisible USBS, the United States bullshit, seal of approval. And if you can't tell, they're taking a bit of poetic license there. So the idea here is that the entire media would have to go along with it because if the entire mainstream media weren't going along with the official story being propagated by the U.S. government, this is full on propaganda. If certain media outlets weren't going along with the official story, weren't tracking the central narrative, then there would be a breakdown. The project wouldn't work. I was talking about the same idea a week or so ago in a discussion about the Twitter censorship and whether there was going to be enough Twitter censorship so that the narratives being spread on the other legacy social media platforms would still be accepted by the public. If one site, for instance, was totally uncensored and people would understand that the truth being shown to them there was being prohibited from the other sites, they would pretty quickly realize this site is the one that we can trust, not these other ones, because we know that that's manipulated information. So they need full buy-in. That's the only way for it to work. And that's what the controlled opposition paradigm exists for. It's to make it seem like they're actually disagreeing while they're telling you essentially the exact same story marketed for different sorts of people. MSNBC tells you the central narrative marketed for people who identify with the far left. CNN tells you the central narrative for people who want to self-identify as centrist and very reasonable. They know what's going on, but it's not the only thing going on in their life because they're busy working people who have all this other stuff to care about. And then Fox News is the central narrative for people who have been mostly good conservatives throughout their lives, but have kind of tuned out and have adopted a political identity that tells them Primarily, they are just opposed to that other story being told on those other news networks. And that is why the news networks will constantly talk about how bad the other news networks are. People think they're really in opposition. So that means that when they agree on something, that thing they're agreeing on must be true. And we see that with all the really big issues that cause the biggest problems because there still lies, despite the fact that news outlets who approach these stories from a bunch of different angles are all ultimately telling the same story. COVID was very real and very dangerous. Masks worked. Lockdowns worked. Vaccines worked. Mail-in ballots were cool. The election wasn't stolen. January 6th was a very violent insurrection. And on and on and on. Same story, backing up the uniparty narrative, 
just marketed to different people. The SMMA provides ample funding for U.S. propaganda programming, incentivizing the corporate media cartel to partner with the Broadcasting Board of Governors for a new source of revenue to backstop its operational budgets that have been declining due to years of increasingly low ratings, social media competition, loss of relevance, and the public's growing loss of confidence in the media's reporting veracity, regardless of political affiliation. And again, that's the problem with the official story and the central narrative. Once it begins to break down, once you can see the cracks in it, you start realizing that you're being lied to and you become more in tune with the way the lies are disseminated and the goals the lies are meant to achieve. A full-fledged propaganda regime might be really, really effective in the short term while people think that they are generally getting some decent reflection of the real world through their news channels. But once that illusion goes away, the entire thing just collapses because ultimately it's all lies. And sooner or later, the lies become so pervasive that people can immediately see just from their normal day-to-day activity that whatever's coming in through the news media, on their phone, through the television, just doesn't match what they're dealing with in real life and hearing from real people. The SMMA promotes unholy alliances between the U.S. State Department and America's corporate media that unbinds reporters and news departments from the solemn responsibility to verify information. Our State Department, working with the corporate media, basically feeding them information from the intelligence apparatus that they want the people to hear. Traditional news based on reliable, verifiable, fact-based evidence is slowly giving way to news, an ersatz form of information dissemination via broadcasting and or publishing that enjoys specialized immunity for libel, misinformation, false or fraudulent information, misrepresentation, and anything else previously prohibited by the SMA. If serving a national security purpose, the media cartel has a government-sanctioned license to lie. This certainly explains a lot of news masquerading as legitimate news these days. Revoking the restrictions once enforced under Smith-Munt has opened the floodgates on active, former, and retired federal government defense, military, and intelligence agency personnel hiring on as experts by broadcast and cable news networks in an attempt to bring gravitas to what amounts to no more than a continuum of guided speculation. Congress expressed concerns over corrupted information by media while considering the SMMA, but instead of inserting protections, it left the legislation wide open for interpretation. Consumers of news can't deny the departure from traditional fact-based news as of 2012. What else explains the growing amount of grossly unsubstantiated and or blatantly biased reporting, the unprecedented anonymous or hearsay sourcing, or the glaringly irresponsible lack of citing sources at all? Just two decades ago, such unprofessionalism in journalism would have been a career breaker and rendered complicit news organizations moot. And it's worth reiterating what I pointed out at the beginning. This is a blog by an independent journalist on an obscure site that I've never come across before, but this woman is just giving her well-reasoned and evidenced opinion and has her sources listed at the bottom, including the original source documents of this material. 
And this is an important distinction here. This independent journalist is trying to figure things out, communicate what she has figured out, and then give people the resources that she used so that they can look and check for themselves and then see if maybe they agree with her or disagree with her. Think about how different that is from the reporting, for instance, that Donald Trump had called soldiers who'd given their lives suckers and losers. That story was anonymously sourced. There was no reason to ever believe that was true, but the entire mainstream media ran with it and tried to slander Donald Trump with it. None of the people doing that cared at all that there was no source for those comments. But those are the same people who constantly tell everyone else that they're a conspiracy theorist unless they are using the mainstream media as their source. And the funny thing is, even when we use past mainstream media articles as our sources and tell you exactly what they said then, they still call us conspiracy theorists. Generally speaking, however, there remains a stubborn residual belief among Americans that media would never be permitted to knowingly deceive people. There are laws against such abhorrent conduct, aren't there? Media broadcasters would lose their broadcasting licenses and publishers would lose their standing as providers of news that is reliable or trustworthy. More importantly, our government is forbidden to propagandize Americans using deception, especially via a free press, right? Wrong. Grasping the importance of the SMMA in undermining America's free press, its impact on our governance, culture, and socioeconomic structure as a free society cannot be understated. Not only is the fourth estate utterly compromised relative to the information it does convey, but there is a far greater mission of corruption in the massive amount of need-to-know information it does not convey systematically omitting relevant information from the public forum, tailoring narratives and messaging in the guise of legitimate news, redundant scripting across networks, and disallowing nearly all critical debate or analysis is classic communications manipulation, strategically designed as part of a larger behavior modification agenda. This is hardly new. And two more great points in there. People believe that the news is not allowed to lie to us. They think of it the same way that we used to hear about how companies could not falsely advertise to us. If there was falseness in their advertising, oh, they would be sued and they would have to pay. They're only allowed to make true claims on our television. And of course, we have a sense that that's still true, even while knowing about decades worth of research on subliminal advertising, for instance. And watching commercials throughout our entire lives that tell us, hey, this Gatorade is going to make you like Michael Jordan. Or if you buy this pickup truck, you'll feel more manly. She also makes the very salient point that sometimes it's the information you leave out that helps to create these false impressions that we as a society hold. Even when damaging stories threaten to break through into the central narrative, they have ways of shutting that down. If they're not able to censor it outright, then they can begin the campaign of fact checks and debunkings. They call things a conspiracy theory, and then they begin to increase the degree of punishment that'll be inflicted on anybody who goes against the narrative. You might remember in the summer of 2020, any hesitation to declare that George Floyd was murdered by racist white cops, and you yourself would immediately be called racist. It was reported by CBS 
that Derek Chauvin and George Floyd worked together at a nightclub and no one bothered factoring that in. Nope, it was just racism. George Floyd was at an overdose level of fentanyl intake, but nope, just racism. George Floyd had actually committed violent crimes before, but nope, just police violence and racism. A white man named Tony Timpa died in exactly the same way months before, after having been held down even longer. But that was ignored, and this was just police brutality and racism. Therefore, BLM Antifa are justified in burning down the country. The important thing to take away from the media is that none of that stuff matters, and you're racist, so... If you want to just go on with your life as normal, you'll continue repeating the things that we tell you to repeat. If we wanted you saying that other stuff, we would already be saying it to you. And so let's take a quick look at the Whitney Webb piece cited in this article, because it touches on some of what we've been talking about recently. And this is, again, from the ronpaulinstitute.org. The headline of the article, this is from February 12th, 2018, Lifting of U.S. Propaganda Ban gives new meaning to old song. And I'm just going to hit some excerpts here. Since 2013, newsrooms across the country of both the mainstream and alternative variety have been notably skewed toward the official government narrative with few outside a handful of independently funded media outlets bothering to question those narratives veracity. While this has long been a reality for the Western media, the use of government-approved narratives and sources from government-funded groups have become much more overt than in years past. From Syria to Ukraine, and this is 2018 now, U.S.-backed coups and U.S.-driven conflicts have been painted as locally-driven movements that desperately need U.S. support in order to, quote-unquote, help the citizens of those countries. Even though that help has led to near destruction of those countries and, in the case of Ukraine, an attempted genocide. In these cases, many of the sources were organizations funded directly by the U.S. government or allied governments, such as the White Helmets and Aleppo Media Center, largely funded by the U.S. and U.K. governments, in the case of Syria, and pro-Kiev journalists with Nazi ties, including Bogdan Butkevich, who called for the extermination of Ukrainians of Russian descent on live TV in the case of Ukraine, among other examples. Such glaring conflicts of interest are, however, rarely, if ever, disclosed when referenced in these reports. And again, this is Whitney Webb. She is a very good independent journalist. More recently, North Korea has been painted as presenting an imminent threat to the United States. Recent reports on this threat have been based on classified intelligence reports that claim that North Korea can produce a new nuclear bomb every six or seven weeks, including a recent article from the New York Times. However, those same reports have admitted that this claim is purely speculative as it is, quote, impossible to verify until experts get beyond the limited access to North Korean facilities that ended years ago. In other words, the article was based entirely on unverified claims from the U.S. intelligence community that were treated as compelling. Now, here, Whitney Webb cites a documentary filmmaker named Robbie Martin in a discussion he had some reporting done by the outlet Mint Press, which actually does really good work most of the time. I'm not vouching for everything they've ever written 
or anything. I'm just saying a very professional source of counter-narrative information. As Martin told Mint Press, many of these government-friendly narratives first began at U.S.-funded media organizations overseen by the Broadcasting Board of Governors, an extension of the U.S. State Department. Martin noted that U.S.-funded media like Voice of America and Radio Free Europe were among the first to use a State Department-influenced narrative aimed at inflaming hostilities with Russia before it soaked into mainstream reporting. Of course, now this narrative, with its origins in the U.S. State Department and U.S. intelligence community, has come to dominate headlines in the corporate media and even some alternative media outlets in the wake of the 2016 U.S. election. This is no coincidence. As Martin noted, quote, after the ban was lifted, things changed drastically here in the United States, end quote, resulting in what was tantamount to a, quote, propaganda media coup, where the State Department and other government agencies that had earlier shaped the narrative at the BBG used their influence on mainstream media outlets to shape those narratives as well. A key example of this, as Martin pointed out, was the influence of the new think tank, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, whose advisory council and staff are loaded with neocons, such as National Review's Bill Kristol and former U.S. intelligence and State Department officials like former CIA director Michael Morell. Now, you might recall that's the guy Anthony Blinken called to have Morell put together the letter by 51 former intelligence officials that said the Hunter Biden laptop had all the markings of a Russian disinformation operation. The Alliance for Securing Democracies, Russia-focused offshoot, Hamilton 68, is frequently cited by media outlets, mainstream and alternative, as an impartial, reliable tracker of Russian meddling efforts on social media. Now, again, this is early 2018 when Whitney Webb is writing all of this. Fast forward five years to February of this year, and we have the Twitter files highlighting how Hamilton 68 provided the basis for some of the censorship efforts by the government in collusion with the social media platforms. Isn't it amazing how it all just fits right together? Skipping down a bit. Under normal circumstances, failing to disclose conflicts of interest of key sources and failing to question government narratives would be considered acts of journalistic malice. However, in the age of legal propaganda, these derelictions matter much less. Propaganda is not intended to be factual or impartial. It is intended to serve a specific purpose, namely influencing public opinion in a way that serves U.S. government interests. As Carl Rove, the former advisor and deputy chief of staff to George W. Bush once said, the U.S. quote is an empire now. And when we act, we create our own reality End quote. This reality is defined not by facts, but by its service to empire. Meanwhile, counter narratives, however fact based they may be, are simultaneously derided as conspiracy theories or fake news especially if they question or go against government narratives. Another major consequence of the ban being lifted, this is the ban of the U.S. government being allowed to propagandize citizens, but another consequence of the ban being lifted goes a step further than merely influencing narratives. 
In recent years, there has been the growing trend of hiring former government officials, including former U.S. intelligence directors and other PSYOPs veterans in positions once reserved for journalists. In their new capacity as talking heads on mainstream media reports, they repeat the stance of the U.S. intelligence community to millions of Americans with their statements and views unchallenged. Now, I think most people have a passive awareness of this, but it's actually presented in a way that these people are bringing in the gravitas. These are the trusted sources. These are the guys that know how things really work. So we can trust them to tell us the truth about how things really work because they're the only ones who know. For instance, last year, CNN hired former director of national intelligence, James Clapper. Clapper, a key architect of Russiagate, has committed perjury by lying to Congress and more recently lied about the Trump campaign being wiretapped through a FISA request. He has also made racist, russophobic comments on national television. Now, however, he is an expert analyst for the most trusted name in news. CNN last year also hired Michael Hayden, who was a former director of both the CIA and the NSA and former principal deputy director of national intelligence. And of course, we are well aware of the revolving door in these media and social media companies and the U.S. government and the intelligence and law enforcement and military apparatus. She concludes this way. Indeed, Edward Bernays, the father of public relations, who also worked closely with the government in the creation and dissemination of propaganda, once wrote, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. He is essentially saying he who controls the narrative controls everything, which should again reaffirm an idea we talk about constantly that this is really a war for the collective mind. It is a war of stories. They are certainly aware of how important narrative control is. It's time for all of us to understand the same thing is true. Webb writes, while this was once an invisible phenomenon, it is quickly becoming more obvious. Now, Silicon Valley oligarchs with ties to the U.S. government have bought mainstream and pseudo-alternative media outlets, and former CIA directors are given prominent analyst positions on cable news programs. The goal is to manufacture support at home for the U.S.'s numerous conflicts around the world, which are only likely to grow as the Pentagon takes aim at competing states like Russia and China in an increasingly desperate protection of American hegemony. With the propaganda ban now a relic, the once covert propaganda machine, long used to justify war after war, is now operating out in the open and out of control. So after World War II, in the early days of mass media, as our television culture began and then spread, we had the Smith-Munt Act, which allowed the American government to send propaganda out into other countries. And then with the advent of social media and how prominent social media became through the early 2000s, they modernized that act to allow the U.S. government to propagandize American citizens as well. Now, the propaganda is not just being targeted at foreign countries. It's being targeted at us and our government is doing it, which means the American taxpayer is ultimately footing the bill for it. We are paying to have our government 
propagandize us. And of course, we understand they're doing that with the media, with the news organizations. We understand that they're doing it with social media. Are we really to believe they're not doing it with Hollywood and our entertainment culture? Of course they are. We are literally paying for them to propagandize us and enrich all of the people doing it. People generally understand Operation Mockingbird, but all of this is Operation Mockingbird on steroids. Now, over the weekend, there was as good an example as you will ever find in popular culture of exactly this effect. A prominent reporter at the Washington Post named Philip Bump appeared on a podcast called The Gnome Dwarman Show and absolutely melted down after being asked about the Hunter Biden laptop. You know, that story that Michael Morell tried to thwart with the letter from the 51 former intelligence officials. Let's take a listen to the exchange. Can't then just say, well, I assume he means not X, despite A, all the external evidence, which you have refused consistently to address. The fact that there's no evidence for, and in fact, evidence to the contrary of your central point about Shokin and Burisma. You haven't addressed that at all. Well, but yeah, I, I would try to every time I try to get it out. You stop me. True. That's not true. Every time that's not true. there's evidence, both Shokin said there's a leaked phone call and there was evidence yesterday in, in, in the papers yesterday that the State Department you, said Do you that think Shokin's, Shokin's a reliable interlocutor? I, he's, it's evidence. Okay. Well, I mean, he's just a, he's just a, like the, the entire point was that he was a corrupt I, government I, official. Who got I have I have. Well, what's interesting, you, I never got to get it out. But what is interesting is that Shokin made something in an interview two two years ago and then Taibbi had some released transcript of a call between Biden and uh, Poroshenko. And it's interesting how they line up. I was surprised by that. And then yesterday, something came out in the papers that said that the State Department had had said that Shulkin was doing a good job. So this is all... Yeah, so the, yeah, I saw that in the New York Post, yeah. right? That there was this one memo that came out yeah, in 2015 called, after there had already been this pressure on Shokin. So but, one memo, but that's called cherry-picking. But, 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 but I would say, the, I say the, 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 the weakest thing you've said yeah. to me is to just dismiss the obvious telegraphing of what Devin Archer is saying in terms of Fed and Spun and Chess, not Checkers. I mean, Checkers, not Chess, whatever he said, to say, well, they, he's trying to please Tucker Carlson. I mean, that's, that's a leap of faith. Maybe okay, you're fine. right. So, so let's say this. I agree, Devin with Archer is not, is not, I agree with you that Hunter Biden's activity when Joe Biden was a, both serving as vice president afterward, I agree that it was sketchy. I agree that it was a bad look. I agree that, well, particularly while he was serving as president, he ought not to have been doing that. If it emerges in the future, which it may, I absolutely can see the what point that there may be direct evidence that Joe Biden took bribe money. That may, what that do may you come up. What do you take from the text message to his adult daughter? Uh, hundreds of times I have to give 50% of my income to pop. I have no idea what that means. I don't. I have no idea what that means. Well, it's, 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 it's I know. It's circumstantial evidence, and you prefer that. No, what, what, what could it I, be? I have no idea. But doesn't it, I don't know. Well, does, I appreciate your has anybody Has anybody been. asked her? I, I don't know. I don't know. Don't you think somebody should ask her? Okay. Like, I, I'm not, I just said I don't know, and I don't know what to make of it, so I have nothing yeah, but, to say you, about it. Yeah, what, but doesn't, what do you want me to say? Yeah, but you say there's no evidence, no evidence, but then there's a text message where he says, I give pop 50% of my money. That's that's evidence. Okay. Well, what? Okay. Fine. Fine. So it's evidence. I appreciate you having me on. It doesn't. It, that something like that. Who do you think is more? I, I listen to that. I'm saying. Am okay, I? Am I? Okay, what, you, you can free you, to I go. Think, I feel you want me to leave. Like just walk out in the middle of this you because that way you can. You, like, can, you can go. Right. Is this a standard? Really? This is the way the Washington Post handles people who disagree yeah, when with I, them. When I agree to be on for 45 minutes. Go. Go. And then go. I get on for an hour and 15. Yeah. Go, that after a while go, I go. Go. Thanks go. for having. Now, is Philip Bump an intelligence asset? I would never say that. I don't know that. 
but he's definitely repeating their narrative. He's claiming there's no evidence about issues for which there is overwhelming evidence. And when that evidence is presented to him, he accuses people of cherry picking evidence as if highlighting facts that support one side of an argument is somehow out of bounds. That's exactly what you do. You make your argument expressing your point of view based on the facts as you know them. And the other person can do the same thing. Philip Bump is relying on this very strange information paradigm where in order to believe that something is true or real or matters, the mainstream outlets, while representing the government, have to confirm all of that. So first, there's no evidence. Then the evidence is presented. Then the claim is that that evidence is just cherry picking as if there is all this other evidence that refutes it. And of course, there isn't. You can hear him specifically attempting to use ad hominem arguments against people like Victor Shokin. He's saying, well, that's a corrupt prosecutor. You can't trust his word. Certainly not against Joe Biden's just because he's on tape talking about his corrupt dealings with Poroshenko. And he's on stage at the Council for Foreign Relations talking about how he used a billion dollars in Ukraine aid as a quid pro quo to get that prosecutor fired. And son of a bitch, he was fired. And just because there's an extensive email history on the laptop, that's not evidence. That's just cherry picking. You can't trust all those corrupt people and corrupt sources. Not when people like Philip Bump haven't told you it's okay yet. This is a fairly prominent journalist for the Washington Post, and he can't defend his position on these issues at all. He has essentially done the very serious intellectual version of what any child brain on social media does. They memorize the debunkings and the fact checks and the counterpoints that you are supposed to repeat when someone says the no-no words. He does that. Then he gets flustered. He melts down and he leaves. Now, if you have had any political conversation with a standard issue uniparty left villager, you will know that this is how it always goes. These are the people they're getting their arguments from. Now, again, I don't know that Philip Bump is connected in any way to our government or to our intelligence agencies, though I would be surprised if he doesn't have sources who do fit that description. Either way, it is clear that he is downstream from those information sources and he is repeating what he's been told. He is reciting the Uniparty company line in every word he says there. And let's not forget the issue they're discussing. They're talking about Biden corruption in Ukraine, which is what sparked the first impeachment hoax of Donald Trump. Their corruption in Ukraine deals with both special counsel investigations of Joe Biden, including the documents case, because one of the claims in the documents case involves speculation that one of the documents found at the home in Delaware in the garage was a list of talking points that Hunter then transmitted via email to his Ukrainian partners. So we have the impeachment hoax of Donald Trump all hinging on this Ukraine issue because Trump and Giuliani were investigating legitimate Biden corruption in Ukraine. They had the laptop at that time. They had already recovered Hunter's laptop from the repair shop before the Ukraine impeachment hoax began. 
So they had any exculpatory evidence they would have needed at that point. And of course, they all knew that the laptop was real. By the time they put out the letter from 51 former intelligence officials about a year after the FBI had recovered the laptop, Philip Bump is not actually making a case or refuting a case from the other side. He is simply attempting to cast doubt on certain claims based on what any audience might be predisposed to believe because they were given the impression at some point that the things he's saying were actually facts that they had derived from the central narrative, which was itself propaganda. Now, an interesting censorship and free speech issue has been brewing on X over the last couple of days, and the New York Post ran this headline this morning. Ex-boss Elon Musk vows to sue ADL for $22 billion for falsely accusing it and me of being anti-Semitic. And that is a quote from Elon Musk. Ex-owner Elon Musk threatened to sue the Anti-Defamation League for roughly $22 billion after accusing the civil rights group of chasing away advertisers since he bought the social media site. The world's richest man, who over the weekend amplified an extremist campaign to ban the Jewish group, claimed in a tweet storm Monday that the ADL was trying to shut down the site, formerly known as Twitter, by falsely accusing it and me of being anti-Semitic. Quote, to clear our platform's name on the matter of anti-Semitism, it looks like we have no choice but to file a defamation lawsuit against the Anti-Defamation League. Oh, the irony. Now, the 22 billion number, of course, is derived from the original reported purchase price of Twitter for Elon Musk and a 60% reported drop in advertising sales on the platform. He says, based on what we've heard from advertisers, ADL seems to be responsible for most of the revenue loss. Elon was pretty active yesterday in the afternoon on Twitter, and so I'm going to share a little bit of the interaction he had. The first post in one of the threads was the one the New York Post just cited to clear our platform's name on the matter of anti-Semitism. It looks like we have no choice but to file a defamation lawsuit against the Anti-Defamation League. Oh, the irony. And to be clear, the claims of anti-Semitism all come from this ban the ADL hashtag campaign that was prominent on Twitter over the weekend. Now, I don't think anybody should be banned. And I don't think that banning the ADL is the solution. I think everyone should stop taking them seriously. So if we want to achieve that goal, we have to figure out how to get everyone to stop taking them seriously. It's like the impeachment of Joe Biden. Yes, I agree with your motivation. Getting rid of Joe Biden is a great goal. Impeachment's just not the right way. Does the ADL suck? Sure does. Is banning it the right thing to do? Probably not. But either way, Discussing whether or not an account like ADL should be banned from the X platform while the ADL is responsible for so many people being banned from the X platform is not a conversation centered around anti-Semitism. It is an example of the ADL doing what it always does, which is claiming anti-Semitism anytime something bothers them. We have to exist in a world where it's okay to point out the basic and obvious truth without having our lives destroyed by the Anti-Defamation League. A prominent Twitter user who goes by Alex, I guess, ALX, wrote, 
wouldn't be the first time the defamation league would be found to have defamed people. And he encloses a screenshot of a headline from May 12th, 2000. Looks like it might have been in Reuters, but judge finds ADL $10.5 million in Colorado defamation suit. Elon responds, interesting. In our case, they would potentially be on the hook for destroying half the value of the company, so roughly $22 billion. An account named Dr. Know-It-All responded to Elon and wrote, I've not seen anything related to this up until recently. Are they alone seriously responsible for destroying half the value of the company? I won't ask for details, lawyers and all, but I'm very interested to find out what the heck has been going on when the time comes. Elon wrote, based on what we've heard from advertisers, ADL seems to be responsible for most of our revenue loss. And that is extraordinary. Giving them maximum benefit of the doubt, I don't see any scenario where they're responsible for less than 10% of the value destruction. So about $4 billion document discovery of all communications between the ADL and advertisers will tell the full story. The Tesla owners Silicon Valley account wrote are advertisers willing to come back when you tell them the truth. Elon responded, advertisers avoid controversy. So all that is needed for ADL to crush our US and European ad revenue is to make unfounded accusations. They have much less power in Asia. So our ad revenue there is still strong. This controversy causes advertisers to pause, but that pause is permanent until ADL gives the green light which they will not do without us agreeing to secretly suspend or shadow ban any account they don't like. That is the relationship they've had with X and Twitter for many years. Presumably, they have that with all Western search or social media organizations. All of them. All of the search engines, the web browsers, the social media platforms, the Anti-Defamation League, a group that claims it is saving Jews from anti-Semitism by censoring anyone who they don't like, essentially has an immediate veto over any content people might see online. That's quite a lot of power. Now, you might say, and Philip Bump would surely say, well, Elon Musk has no evidence of that. And of course, that's untrue. Elon Musk would absolutely know about what's going on with advertisements and advertisers on Twitter and the influence of the ADL. This is a specific business concern that he would be directly involved in. Of course he knows, but they would still say there's no evidence. If he has evidence, why not put it forward to us? Well, one of the posters mentioned the reason why he would not put forth the evidence, because there are going to be lawyers and such. He doesn't have to actually produce the evidence to know that if what he's saying is true, then the evidence is also there. He is also making claims about a well-funded and extremely litigious organization. So making false claims in public about them would probably be a very bad and dumb idea for Elon Musk. So the likelihood that he is just making all of this up is extremely low. You would have to bias toward he is probably telling the truth. And if he is telling the truth, then he definitely has plenty of evidence. You don't need to see the evidence yourself to know that it directly affects his business. He would have to be making all of this up. 
which would be absolutely insane. And it is much more reasonable and rational for us to understand that dynamic and use that as a basis for our discernment than do what standard issue villagers do and assume that whatever's in the mainstream news is the cutting edge of information and use that to inform our discernment. Well, we haven't seen any evidence yet. Therefore, we can't believe this. Therefore, Elon's probably making it up. Therefore, this is a Jewish organization and he actually is anti-Semitic. Does that make any sense? Of course, that doesn't make any sense. Now, if he's asking for $22 billion at some point, he's going to have to present the evidence. And if this lawsuit moves forward, as he's saying it will, or at least as he's threatening, then he's right. The process of discovery would produce all of that evidence. And what happens when that evidence is brought forward to the public and the public understands that all of this actually is happening? What has the ADL done to itself and to the cause of eliminating anti-Semitism by exploiting all of this for decades as a justification for censoring the political speech of Americans? The question should immediately be, how did this organization come to have so much control over the public conversation in this country? Their leverage is always the same. They are going to claim that a person or organization is anti-Semitic unless and until that person shuts up. Staying with the topic of information manipulation, the Gateway Pundit today reprinted a piece from the Western Journal, Alert ex-Wikipedia co-founder, says site hijacked by U.S. intelligence for info warfare. Wikipedia co-founder Lawrence Mark Sanger has accused U.S. intelligence agencies of manipulating the online encyclopedia for nearly two decades. And this, of course, will be no surprise to anyone who has been paying attention to these issues for a few years or obviously much longer. In an interview with Pulitzer Prize winning investigative journalist Glenn Greenwald, Sanger claimed that Wikipedia had become a tool of control in the hands of the U.S. establishment, which includes the CIA, FBI and other intelligence agencies. We do have evidence that even as early as 2008, CIA and FBI computers were used to edit Wikipedia, Sanger stated during the interview. Do you think that they stopped doing that back then? Sanger's claims shed light on the alleged infiltration of Wikipedia by the intelligence agencies and a perceived ideological shift on the platform. Just how did we get to a point where truth is tied to a particular ideology? Sanger asked. Sanger highlighted the gradual change he observed in Wikipedia's content over the years, noting that by 2006 to 2008, Articles related to controversial topics in science, such as global warming and certain drugs, began to exhibit what he described as an over-the-top bias. He goes on. Then I started noticing around 2010 to 2015 that articles on like Eastern medicine and holistic medicine were so obviously biased, Sanger continued, suggesting a bias toward Western ideas. It really got over the top between 2013 and 2018. By the time of the Trump administration, Wikipedia's perceived bias had intensified and Sanger claimed that, quote, no encyclopedia, to my knowledge, has been as biased as Wikipedia has been. Greenwald agreed that the emergence of the Trump administration had a significant impact, stating that the, quote, liberal establishment narrative 
aimed at countering then-President Donald Trump appeared to have influenced Wikipedia's content. Sanger also expressed concern about the abandonment of Wikipedia's original neutrality policy by what he termed as rank-and-file Wikipedians, who he claimed now took cues from liberal media outlets like CNN, MSNBC, and The New York Times. A notable revelation from Sanger was that Wikipedia had officially declared that, quote, 80% of the major sources of news on the right to be unreliable. So one of the original founders of Wikipedia, a guy who is no longer associated with the organization, but certainly understands the ethics and principles under which it was founded and understands how the platform works, knows that the platform is now dominated by that same political agenda, and it's coming ultimately from the same sources. So what they end up creating is an entire environment where the information controls exist at every level. The intelligence community, the military industrial complex, our federal law enforcement community, the State Department of the U.S. government through this broadcasting board of governors, which is now called, by the way, the U.S. Agency for Global Media. They all take advantage of the Smith-Munt Modernization Act that allows propaganda in America, and they decide what the story is going to be so that ultimately they're able to have full control over the collective mind of the American citizenry. The goal is to create a situation where truth is whatever they say it is. And this is why I talk about how these are stories about reality, information among other information. This is why I am so concerned with making sure that people understand there are no real authoritative sources out there. There's not somebody you can just trust for everything. We actually do need to perform the process of discernment on our own. And if that makes the world a more uncertain place and potentially a more threatening place, well, then that's just because it really is that uncertain and potentially threatening. And we have to embrace that and figure out a way to navigate through that. They create the story for everyone. They are forming the collective understanding of what is true about what's happening in the world and about ourselves and our community and what people around us believe. All of it is a creation of that apparatus. And it gets fed into them all day, every day from our media sources. You turn on cable news, you get the same story that you get from all these various print media outlets and all the op-ed pages and all these analysis websites all feeding in the same story about the same official narrative. Yes, they've branded it specially for you, but you're still getting the same story. And then everybody takes that story and spreads it on social media and adds their opinions about everything. But social media is controlled and censored. The information that they don't like, the inconvenient opinions that might dispute the central narrative, well, it's easy to remove those from the platform completely. And then they promote all the opinions they do like. Right now, total, absolute, standard issue, villager normies supporting every trending story within the central narrative are being paid enormous sums to spread those messages on the X platform right now. Ian Miles Chong, one of the worst normies in the Twitter universe, is getting paid something like $10,000 a week to post on Twitter 
because of the engagement he gets and because of the fact that advertisers will put their ads next to his content because his content is reinforcing the central narrative. They can't get in trouble. They can't look bad to people like the ADL for placing their ads next to his content. He is unwittingly or not a tool of the propaganda regime. He has at best been co-opted to disseminate those messages. And now he is heavily incentivized to continue doing it. Same with people like the Krasensteins and same with a whole bunch of quote unquote conservative influencers on there as well. And naturally, all of these people have taken on the belief manufacturing system that's introduced in this sort of information flow. Everything comes down from the authoritative source, which is the government and the intelligence agencies, and that it is distributed widely to everyone, not only through news, but through our entertainment channels. It is spread on social media. Certain narratives are incentivized. Other ones are punished. Some people are banned entirely. And the banning happens as a result of outside influences supporting that same global regime, putting pressure on the advertisers, letting them know that their business will be destroyed if they continue supporting certain platforms and certain points of view. The influencers don't care because they continue making money on all of it. And they believe that they can't be proven wrong because all of the sources that they would trust that could potentially refute them in the first place are where they got all of this stuff to begin with. So it is this information bubble. That is the closed environment that we've been talking about for so long. And it is all a product of direct government propaganda that is being paid for by committing the American people to an eternity of indentured servitude. I've been saying for quite a long time, the only true thing that we can take from what they are communicating is what they want us to believe. They are telling us what they want us to believe in very clear, very certain, very specific terms. The rest of it is just one long advertisement for the world as they wish it would exist and as they want you to understand that it really does exist. They are showing you a version of reality that they want you to accept. They want you to accept that version of reality even over and above the one that comes in through your own senses and from the people you trust and love in your life. Those messages don't matter. Those inputs from reality don't matter. All that matters is that story, that central narrative derived from the authoritative source. I mentioned that we had a great example of that with the way the Hunter Biden laptop was treated. Another perfect example was the entire summer of love, the BLM Antifa summer of rioting in celebration of the George Floyd story. And we had another great example running at the same time. And I'm talking, of course, about COVID, which has been thrust back into the spotlight. We're being told Jill Biden has COVID. Whoopi Goldberg is not going to be on the view today because she has COVID. Everybody has COVID again. It's just like when Tom Hanks caught it down in Australia back in March of 2020. Get the celebrities out there first. Let everybody know that the celebrities have COVID. That's how real it is. Even the celebrities can get it. Do you know anyone with COVID? Of course not. But now you do because you know celebrities. 
And since COVID is back in the news, of course, we have to hear from Anthony Fauci. And Anthony Fauci has kind of stepped in it in regards to masking. He was on CNN, which should be a safe space for him with Michael Smirkanish. And this is what happened. Uh, Brett Stevens in The Times talked about Cochrane. Put that on the screen. The most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illness, including COVID-19, was published last month. Its conclusions, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist who is the lead author, were unambiguous. There is just no evidence that they, masks, make any difference, he told the journalist Mayan Damasi, full stop. But wait, hold on. What about the N95 masks as opposed to the lower quality surgical or cloth masks? Makes no difference. None of it, he said. Well, what about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates? They were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. How do we get beyond that finding of that particular review? Yeah, but there are other studies, Michael, that show at an individual level for individual. When you're talking about the effect on the epidemic or the pandemic as a whole, the data are less strong. Now, how about that? What is that? Masks don't work. Masks have never worked. There was never, ever, ever a way for masks to have worked in stopping the spread of an aerosolized viral particle. There was never a good study saying otherwise. All of it was nonsense. It was all a lie. Anthony Fauci lied to you. The people on television lied to you. The people at the CDC lied to you. You were propagandized by our government on behalf of the military industrial complex, on behalf of the pharma companies, and on behalf of the regime. The entire thing was one long commercial to convince you to put your money and your belief right where they wanted it. And they've become so good at setting up these stories that divide the uniparty right and the uniparty left that society ends up spending all their time arguing about the differences between those two versions of a complete fiction, both of which completely deny the only underlying reality that matters. We had people arguing about mask policy and mandate policy and mask studies rather than focusing only on the simple fact that masks don't work, not for an aerosolized viral particle or that we're probably being lied to about the aerosolized viral particle in the first place. No one's allowed to talk about any of that stuff. But people are finally waking up to all of this, and even the mainstream media is unable to avoid what is happening right now, which is that Trump is gaining speed and gaining popularity, and people are coming to understand that the stories they've been told simply aren't true. And it's hard to imagine anyone saw this one coming, but this is former head of the DNC, Donna Brazil who's the one who became embroiled in controversy back during the 2016 election cycle when it became clear that she had fed the debate questions in the Democratic primary to Hillary Clinton. Here she is on ABC News addressing the burgeoning Trump phenomenon. To say something, because, George, I'm old enough to say this. Uh, I've seen two movements outside of the social justice movements in my life on the political side. 
One was the Reagan movement. Reagan had a hold on his base, the country at large. They saw him as someone who was willing to stand up for American values, whatever that might have meant. Now, I thought it was reactionary. Uh, the other movement I saw was, was Barack Obama, hope and change. That galvanized the American people. I've never seen anything like this with Donald Trump. I mean, what doesn't kill you make you stronger? I mean, being convicted, I mean, being indicted. That's making them stronger, raising $10 million, using an ugly mug shot uh, to raise money. This is a movement. And anyone who thinks that you can apply the old political rules to trying to defeat this candidate based on he's scary, he's ugly, whatever you might want to call him, this is a movement. And we have to respect the fact that it's a movement. Yep, it sure is. And no amount of propaganda is going to change that. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month, comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!